G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A special pre-election focus ahead of us in the hours to come with the cream of Australia's Christian political commentators on the biggest issues that threaten to criminalise Christian Bible teaching and change the fabric of Australia. Now, through the coming hours, we're also going to be having our own special tribute to Bob Hawke, who died overnight. There's clearly a lot to say about one of the nation's greatest prime ministers. We're going to unpack a very different angle, though, today than most would be doing in the mainstream media. Eternity News features an article today by Roy Williams, which is a significant tribute entitled Farewell Bob Hawke, Son of the Manse, referring to the fact that he was the son of a Congregationalist minister and a former military chaplain, his mother also a devout Christian. Now what that means, of course, is that Bob Hawke was raised in a thoroughly Christian home. But like so many in adulthood, Bob lost his personal faith in his early 20s and began to describe himself as an agnostic. Now, In his agnosticism, he did, however, write in his memoirs that his parents' basic Christian principles of brotherhood and compassion drove his public life. They fostered in him beliefs and precepts which were to guide his future career. There is a big question in play, and no doubt we'll discuss some of that as to whether Bill Shorten, as the current Labor leader, is anywhere near the mould of a Bob Hawke, because it appears that Bill Shorten seems to be aligning himself to Christian values, but are far from any influence on the current policies of the Labor Party. There is lots to talk about on this special pre-election broadcast. It is a special edition of 2020 as we unpack the biggest election issues around tomorrow's federal poll. Tomorrow we'll all be braving the crowds and exercising our democratic right to cast our vote for what is described as the most important federal election perhaps ever. So much is at stake. A watershed moment. Perhaps Australia will never be the same again. Neither of the mainstream parties look especially good to a Christian who votes according to a conscience that's shaped by Christian values. The future of Australia's family, faith and freedoms hang in the balance. Regular political commentators on vision uh, appear to have something in common. This time around there is very deep concern that the policy platforms of the Labor Party and the Greens are openly hostile to family and freedom and especially faith. On the other side, the Liberal National Coalition has been significantly divided on policies that reflect a sound Christian foundation on many of the same issues. So over the coming hours... We're going to hear from the cream of Australia's Christian commentators on everything from freedom 
families, climate change, education, immigration policies, taxation and a vision for the future of Australia. We'll assess the major parties, the minor parties and those parties that reflect Christian values. We'll talk about the controversies of this campaign and we'll ask where will the Christian voice be in the likely election outcomes in both the House of Representatives and in the Senate. Well, I hope you can stick around. It could be a roller coaster ride over these coming hours on this special broadcast on 2020. There's a number of guests. In fact, we have six commentators coming in the hours ahead, and not all at once, because that might be bedlam. But we've got a wonderful set of commentators uh, to join us for the start of our special broadcast today. Wendy Francis from the Australian Christian Lobby. She's the Queensland State Director. She leads the Centre for Human Dignity, advocating the rights and freedoms, particularly of vulnerable children, and against sexual exploitation. Uh, Wendy Francis, a special welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here, Neil. And joining us on the line from South Australia, Damien Wilde, who is the director of the Australian Family Coalition. Damien Wilde, a special welcome to you. Good morning, Neil, and good day, Wendy. Hey, Damien. Let's start with the biggest breaking news. And nobody could have anticipated the death of a cultural icon that Bob Hawke was. Wendy Francis, uh, clearly, any time we hear of the death of a great Australian, no matter what political persuasion they may be, uh, there is a certain sense in which we, we stop and we actually exercise a level of Christian compassion. What were your thoughts when you heard the news? Absolutely. Um, there's no doubt that he was a great Australian. Uh, I think that, you know, we all remember him as a larrikin. Um, and there were always times when he made all of us smile. Um, there are also times when I wanted to tear my hair out. But, uh, but a great Australian has passed and, uh, and I, I give my condolences to his family. Uh, your thoughts, Damien, when you heard the news, what were your initial reactions? And you've heard some of the commentary, no doubt, as to what commentators have been saying about Bob Hawke. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, certainly, uh, Neil, it, it's the end of an era in a way. Um, whatever one's personal politics, uh, Bob Hawke was certainly <clears throat> a man who left a, a lasting impression on this country. Uh, and for me, you know, it really marked the end of a personal era, I guess. Um, I was a school student um, during Bob Hawke's prime ministership, and it, it really feels like a, you know, a chapter of Australian history has, has passed. Uh, let me just ask for your reflections on the fact that he was this larrikin, uh, that he was very popular, and some have even included in their commentary the fact that his popularity was because he didn't have a lot of pretenses uh, you know, in fact, uh, you know, th there was there was a number of failings, moral failings that he uh, almost proudly owned. And there is this certain sense that while Australians somehow rather have a, a, a reaction against hypocrisy, uh, there was a certain popularity that came because he was someone who wore his heart on his sleeve, said what he meant. And in fact, uh, uh, lived his life according to uh, saying sorry if uh, if he thought he defended people. Look, I think he identified um, with with the common people. He, when he spoke, he wasn't scripted, um, and I think 
that's one of the things that people really hate about modern day politics. We feel like so much of what comes out is scripted. Uh, Bob Hawke wasn't that person. But I was personally let down as a woman when he left his first wife. Uh, there were many things that I saw in him that did not make me feel that he was a good leader. But there was no doubt that there was this larrikinism in him that, that it identified to many Australians. Um, his, his drinking, his, um, you know, anyone who sacks somebody for not coming in tomorrow is, you know, no good as an employer. Those sort of things identified with people because he was just one of the common people, um, very unscripted. But personally, as a woman, I felt quite let down by him as a leader. Damien, your thoughts on Bob Hawke as a person, uh, this idea of, uh, you know, where there were certain failings there, but Australians warmed to him in a significant way. Yeah, I think Wendy's pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, Bob Hawke was certainly far from perfect. Perfect, You know, he, he had his personal failings, as many people in public life do. Um, but at the same time, I, I think um, that unscripted nature of his character, the the authenticity that I think is so often lacking in modern politics. We see people on all sides of the political divide who are, frankly, you know, compared to cardboard cutouts. Mm. Um, you know, we've seen commentary just in the last week on the inability of many MPs to give a straight answer to a straight question. Uh, that was something that Bob never shied away from. Um, so certainly he was, you know, a multifaceted sort of person, I think you'd say. I did hear some commentary, uh, some suggesting that perhaps he wouldn't have reached this status of icon and uh, been such a popular Prime Minister had he been in the role today with social media the way that it is. And so easily uh, people can be torn down. Uh, What are your thoughts, Wendy, that we're talking about perhaps a different era and things are a little different today, but what are your thoughts for uh, the way that perhaps he might have even performed in today's context. So I think he could have got in trouble with the PC brigade. I do think that because he wasn't careful with what he said, but that was one of the things that endeared him to people. Um, but I still think that he, see, even today he was still very popular and I think there was a charismatic um, part to his personality that we really warmed to. He was he was a charismatic person. And so and that's what we like in, in politicians. And many politicians who are very charismatic, they do get away with a lot of failings because of their charisma. And I think that was Bob Hawke. Damien, your thoughts for a past era, because I think mm. we can all identify that Australia was a different Australia back in those days when Bob Hawke was Prime Minister. Things have changed dramatically, especially when it comes to issues of faith. What are your, what's your reflection there? Well, I've got sort of mixed views on that because, I mean, it's not only the advent of social media that we've seen in the last couple of decades, but even, you know, if you consider back to the 80s when Hawke was Prime Minister, even TV used to shut off at a certain time. You'd get the test pattern on the channel after certain hours. Mm. There wasn't this 24-7 news cycle that we've got now. So I wonder how, you know, Bob would fare in this sort of relentless cycle. And part of me thinks that, yes, he he could well fall foul of the, the PC brigade. That's definitely the possibility. The other one is to look at people overseas like you know, Trump or Nigel Farage in the UK who've actually sort of owned their larger-than-life character. And, I mean, it's very hard to determine, you know, what, what Bob might be like today were he to, you know, be just setting out on his career again. But it, it's a fascinating thing to consider. 
From what I understand, uh, he continued to smoke cigars uh, right up until uh, his dying day. Uh, There's a certain sense, uh, Wendy, when you consider a leader, an Australian leader, the larrikin leader that we've been talking about, someone who's a cigar-smoking, beer-swilling, and I know that he uh, had an issue uh, with alcohol and uh, tried to bring that under control. But the womanising aspects, those sorts of things... Uh, people didn't judge his character as severely as we might often hope that Christians looking through a set of values that are biblical might judge a character. That's got a that's got something deep to say about Australians and the way that we look at uh, people's character, and we're not necessarily likely to pass judgment, perhaps the way we sometimes think morally we ought. Well, I think we like the person who's a bit of a rebel, and I think people saw um, him as a rebel, so... Don't tell me not to smoke a cigar. I'll do what I like. And and Australians warm to that. Damien, your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. There's a bit of an anti-nanny state sentiment there. I mean, you know, the mere fact that up until the end, you know, he could be um, encouraged at, uh, you know, at a cricket or a footy match to scull a beer, that idea of the rebel uh, that I think is quite deeply ingrained in Australian society certainly came through with Bob. Okay, let's continue our conversation in just a few minutes because we are going to be joined by a special guest who wrote a book about the faith of Australia's Prime Ministers, Roy Williams. We'll be chatting with Roy in just a few minutes. But before we let our entire conversation be hijacked by talk about Bob Hawke, let's come back to the key issues here. Uh, One of the biggest challenges, of course, is religious freedom. The way this is affected by the outcomes of what is likely to happen in schools, uh, what is likely to happen with a transgender agenda. These are the sorts of things that I've been talking about over these past few days. In fact, I've been talking about these sorts of things with various special guests, perhaps even for years. Uh, Wendy Francis, for Christians here, uh, this is something that we need to keep front and centre in the way that we're talking about the policies that may well come to light and actually mark the change in Australia beyond tomorrow. So important. Uh, Even the commercial TV stations, anybody who's watching, are calling this the most important election of our generation. That's how it's being talked about. And I'd be interested to know why they are saying that. But certainly for, for people of faith, um, the freedoms of faith, conscience and belief, I think the rights of children uh, to their innocence, the rights of the unborn um, and e- even economic stability, these things are really important to Christians. And if we look at some of the policies of the left, of the of the Greens and the, certainly the left of Labor, they are arguing that Christian schools um, should be prevented from requiring teachers to model the faith that, that's taught. Um, you know, th- this is really serious stuff uh, and, and it's this is what's happening. I note that Kerry Ann Kennelly, as a uh, you know a mainstream uh, presenter and uh, such a long career, she's an icon of Australian entertainment television. She's been reflecting the sorts of things that you reflect and that we've been hearing reflected uh, in 2020 conversations now for a long, long time. And she's been held down as uh, someone who's, you know, uh, she's, uh, you know, intolerant Mm. and uh, getting lots of criticism, social media and people on that panel that she sits on on television. This is a significant thing because people who are in the mainstream are reflecting these sorts of ideas that this is a very serious election and things will change if there is a change of government tomorrow. 
Absolutely. Uh, the Labor government has committed to fund sex change operations. They've committed to pressure hosp- public hospitals into offering free abortion procedures. And when I say pressure, it's just that they will remove federal funding if the hospital resists from offering free abortion. So there's, there's um, finances being directed in both of those ways. Um, the ALP have committed to reinstating funding for gender fluid education in schools. So there's a lot of funding going to places where people like Kerry Ann Kennelly are actually asking questions about, and that's a good thing. Damien Wild, you have been campaigning, and uh, of course you've had a social media campaign that has been functioning now, and you've been cutting through, getting through to a lot of Australians. But I do note that one of the things that you've been getting in feedback is this idea that you must be making all this up. You must be just fear-mongering. What are your thoughts for the public response to the consequences that are potential beyond tomorrow? Well, this is a difficult thing, Neil, that while um, the Christian community, I think, is now extremely well-informed on these sorts of issues because it's not just been the last few weeks and months. It's been all through the marriage debate and going back much further that we've talked about some of these issues. But they haven't necessarily cut through to mainstream uh, Australian society. You know, we had difficulty, I think, well well ahead of the marriage debate in terms of trying to explain to people uh, what this thing called safe schools was that was, you know, infiltrating classrooms across Australia. So today, when you come out and sometimes make a bold assertion like your freedoms are at risk, it's a challenge to actually cut through and explain to the average Aussie on the street what that means. Um, and whether we can do that sufficiently before tomorrow's vote, that really is a challenge because, as you said, you know, we, we are at a crossroads moment. This is a crossroads election. Well, this is a significant opportunity today to get your head around the issues from a Christian perspective. A lineup today of the best Christian political commentators in the nation as we bring you a special broadcast on the eve of what is a very important federal election. I'm going to take a very quick break and come back with another special guest who's uh, been available and thankfully uh, at short notice, but Roy Williams, the author of a book called In God They Trust, the religious beliefs of Australia's Prime Ministers 1901 to 2013 Roy Williams has some insights about Bob Hawke, we're back with more in just a few moments. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Great to have you along with us. A special pre-election broadcast today on the eve of a critical federal election. And, of course, what's happened overnight, and uh, you might have woken to news this morning, unless you were up late last night, uh, you might not have heard, but Bob Hawke died overnight. In the studio with me, Wendy Francis from the Australian Christian Lobby, on the line, Damien Wilde from the Australian Family Coalition, and we're going to be joined now for a short segment just talking through issues of Bob Hawke and talking about the faith that shaped one of Australia's greatest prime minister. Roy Williams is the author of the book called In God They Trust, The Religious Beliefs of Australia's Prime Ministers, 1901 to 2013. Roy Williams, a special welcome along. Thank you for having me, Neil. Roy, when you wrote that book, it was a significant uh, insight into the ways that Christian faith has shaped Australia because of the faith of Australia's Prime Ministers. Uh, You've reflected significantly on Bob Hawke. Uh, I don't want to uh, ask you specifics, but in general, how do you see uh, the life of Bob Hawke and the things that shaped his career? Well, Hawke himself, 
uh, always said, Neil, that his father, who was a Congregationalist minister, uh, was the biggest influence on him. His father um, always said that if you believe in the fatherhood of God, you must also believe in the brotherhood of man. It was very, Hawke was very much from the old-fashioned Christian socialist tradition, if you want to call it that. Um, a lot of other prime ministers were in that tradition from the Labor side, starting with Andrew Fisher, um, and right through to, uh, arguably, Bill Shorten himself. Uh, but Hawke was the greatest of those because he somehow managed to balance um, and bring along with him uh, a good percentage of people who weren't necessarily Labor voters. He had that charisma about him, um, and uh, people responded to that. But in terms of Christianity, uh, yes, it was his mother and father, both extremely devout uh, Christians, who instilled those values in him. Interestingly, growing up in a sound and solid Christian home and in his memoirs uh, does in fact draw attention to the fact that those shaping years helped to shape his values through his career. Uh, it's a, looks, things look a little bit different now for a lot of families, but those sorts of foundations very important, Roy. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, yes, indeed. His mother positively doted on him, Ellie Hawke, and uh, his, his, his older brother died, died young, and uh, Neil Hawke was his name, and uh, Bob, as the surviving child, therefore had enormous expectations placed upon him, and uh, his mother often talked about it in sort of like Old Testament Biblical terms um, that these expectations weighed upon him, and and he felt that he felt and said often that if you've been imbued with special talents uh, by God, then you have a duty uh, to God and to your fellow man to make use of them. That was very much a streak that ran through Hawke's uh, thinking at all times. Of course, uh, he described himself in his adult years as an agnostic. Um, he was a devoted Christian, very active in the student Christian movement until his mid-20s. Uh, but he's on the record as saying that it was a visit to India in 1952, um, ironically with the student Christian movement, that really shook him. Um, the poverty he witnessed there and the apparent indifference of the churches to it um, shook his faith. My own theory is that his faith was already waning by that stage. Um, and that would have obviously been a tragic disappointment to his father and his mother. Uh, but Hawke himself was, was, was true to his agnosticism, if you like. Um, and there's a, there's a beautiful passage which I quoted in the book where he explained to a seven-year-old boy why he was an agnostic uh, and it was such a fair statement uh, where he respected the views of both believers like his own parents and people who just like him could not uh, could not honestly say that they that they believed he was very respectful of people on both sides 
Um, he emphasised, by the way, that he was certainly not an atheist. He he um, he just did not know. <laughs> And I think there's a certain honesty when people will say, I just don't know. And uh, agnosticism, sometimes we group it with atheism, but it certainly is far different uh, to this idea of an atheism. And in fact, I'd be interested in... It's a very, very different thing. In fact, if I can bring a personal note to the conversation, my own dear father died uh, only earlier this week as well. And he was raised uh, in strict Presbyterian home, um, but and all his life he, he greatly respected Christianity and my own evangelical faith as it developed as an adult. But he, he, I think it's fair to say, was like Hawk. He he just could not make that leap for for whatever reason. Um, uh, whether you believe in predestination or not, um, Dad just couldn't make that leap to to the div- belief in the divinity of Christ, as opposed perhaps to deism. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a, just a it's a very strange thing, and I've, I've I've been reflecting on it all this week. Roy, you would be reflective, and let me just pause to say our deepest condolences to you and your family for your loss, and uh, my deepest thanks for your availability to share these thoughts with us today, and there's lots more to say, and let me point listeners to a wonderful article that you wrote, and I suspect you didn't write it last night, but it's something they've pulled out of an archive, Uh, but your reflections on Bob Hawke that have been republished in the Eternity newspaper, and uh, it's an extract from In God They Trust, the religious beliefs of Australia's Prime Ministers, and uh, I'd I'd point listeners to get a hold of that book from your nearest Christian bookstore and uh, read about the faith of those identities who have been the major shapers of Australia. But Roy Williams, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we're continuing our conversation today, which is a special broadcast about the federal election tomorrow, an important broadcast, and our two special guests in the studio, Wendy Francis and also Damien Wilde, and I want to introduce two, and it uh, comes very uh, very busy in one sense, but uh, we don't want to miss some of the number crunching that's going on. Dave Beard is our number cruncher when it comes to whether it's state or federal elections, and Dave is in the studio with us too. David, give us a, a quick 60-second update on some of the numbers, and I know that you're making a reference to uh, some pre-poll figures. Yes, uh, good morning, Neil. A record number of Australians have already yet cast their pre-poll votes in nearly three weeks. And as of this morning, there's already been 4.05 million pre-poll votes cast. Uh, Around 533,000 people voted yesterday. And this is up uh, about 1.5 million on the same stage in 2016 at the last election. So the prediction is that over 4.6 million will vote early, uh, with also today the uh, busiest at early uh, voting centres. So half a, um, about a half a million electors are likely to vote today. So this trend will see in excess of 28% of the nation vote by the end of, uh, of today. 
Now, you're supposed to have a good reason to vote early, Neil, but it's uh, loosely policed. So these pre-poll votes won't be counted until vote voting closes 6pm local time tomorrow. Additionally, there's also been 1 in 1.4 million postal votes. And these are increasing trends. Uh, just over 16.4 million are enrolled to vote, which is nearly 97% of all Australians eligible to vote, which is the highest ever. Dave Beard will hear from you shortly with some more updates as we crunch some numbers about things that are happening. Uh, on those issues, uh, Damien Wilds, uh, you're in South Australia and uh, you've got a large, wide view of what's been going on. 4.05 million pre-poll votes. Uh, do you have any reflection on the fact that people have voted early? They haven't waited until there is, uh, you know, the finality of what comes in an election campaign. Any thoughts on this? Because I know this has been a controversial issue well it's a funny one neil i mean even at the best of times i think there are many people who are just overrunning the gauntlet to get into a booth um as someone who has helped candidates in the past and even been a candidate uh, in the past that flurry of activity handing out how to vote cards many people are very cynical of that process and anything they can do to avoid it they will i think in this particular campaign though it has been um, you know quite I wouldn't go so far as to say toxic, but it has been quite a confrontational campaign at times. And I think many people have just struggled to tune into it. They haven't necessarily felt their issues of concern being addressed. And I think many are just happy to get it out of the way. And that's probably reflected in these numbers we've seen. Interestingly, Wendy Francis, I've heard reports of people who have been abusive to people who are handing out flyers, and no doubt there's tensions when you're running the gauntlet to try and uh, to try and uh, cast your vote. I wonder whether you think uh, there's any sort of connection here as to why people are really turning out in droves to pre-poll vote. Uh, any thoughts on that? I'm so different to this because I love the process on Saturday and I, I draw it out as long as possible because yep. I just love to talk to everybody as I go in and I love to let everybody know who I'm voting for too. It's just <laughs> Peter's really embarrassed by me. But I do think that um, this is, you know, part of the new era that we're in of the hate speech thing. So even um, I've worked on polling booths and been a candidate as well and, and usually – what I've seen in the past is that parties, even who disagree with each other, can share a bun or share a drink or, you know, mm. go and get each mm. other coffees and things. That's not happening as much this time. And I think the rise in what we're seeing of hate speech, the whole social media sort of back and forward, is developing in Australia a, a, a disappointing way of not being able to um, to talk to somebody and debate clearly uh, but disagree and still be friends. We're losing that. Damien Wilde, when we talk about hate speech and uh, people's reluctance to even engage in these sorts of conversations, uh, there's even this idea that people who are being called on those telephone polls, you know, all of the major polling companies, maybe not actually indicating their true sense of where they'll cast their vote. I wonder whether you've got some reflection on just how reliable those polls might have been that we've been seeing, uh, you know, whether it's News Poll or Ipsos Poll or all sorts of other polls that have been presented. Any thoughts there? Well, there's always a margin of error with these things, <clears throat> Neil, at the best of times, uh, much less, you know, people observing their thoughts and not perhaps being uh, feeling free to share them. I think the big thing for me uh, when I look at polls, because any poll is, you know, prone to error, as I said, is to look at trends. And it's been interesting to see the trends. I think things have improved for the Prime Minister and for the Coalition over the last few weeks. It's just a question for them um, as to, you know, how, how few people are left to vote, to be frank. 
uh, sorry, left to vote. Uh, to be frank, you know, we've seen um, the comment earlier that we may see up to 28% of people vote before election day. That only leaves a relatively smaller number um, who are still, you know, absorbing this, this last-minute information before they cast their vote. So really, the polls are the entirety of the picture. We have to look back over the last couple of weeks to the people who've already voted. Okay, let's just change tack a little bit here. Coming back to some of the core issues, because we'll want to come back to some of these throughout our conversation. Uh, Wendy Francis, as the one who leads the Centre for Human Dignity, and you're advocating for the rights and freedoms, particularly of children, and against sexual exploitation, I want to bring you to uh, issues like the transgender agenda and uh, issues like the Safe Schools program that's likely to be really on steroids if there is a change of government into every state and territory, in fact, every school. Uh, What are your thoughts for some of the issues here around children when it comes to this major, major change that could happen tomorrow? There is a major change uh, because if we have a Labor government after tomorrow, um, what the Labor Party have taken to the election is a 310-page policy platform. And in that policy platform, um, there are hundreds of mentions of different uh, sexualities uh, and they make it very clear in every area of our life, so in education, in health, in sport even, um, right throughout every part of our lives, there will be an injection of, um, of education around gender fluid ideology. So my, as you say, my particular concern is for children and in the um, Labor policy I'm reading it says for students to learn um, inclusion and anti-bullying programs but then it goes on to include um, the gender that they identify with, that they, they want to ensure that students are able to express the gender they identify with. Now this is, this is where um, the gender ideology comes in very strongly and we are actually... I, th- I think we are actually um, being child abusers by some of the gender ideology that is actually being promoted in our schools. Damien Wilde, your thoughts here, because you were one of those who was warning right through the lead up to the actual marriage vote uh, about these sorts of things coming upon Australia. And all of a sudden we are here and uh, a change of government will even legislate those things to come into being. What are your thoughts? on this really uh, dangerous issue of transgender? Well, you're right, Neil, that everybody involved with the No campaign a couple of years ago were mercilessly mocked for daring to suggest that there would be consequences. And we're really seeing them, um, you know, come to fruition now. The chickens are coming home to roost. The 310-page Labor Party platform that Wendy referred to, which was adopted here in Adelaide in December, is just littered with references to what uh, Labor would impose in, in so many different aspects of life. I think um, children are at risk, as Wendy said. I, I certainly feel for parents. You know, I'm a parent at the moment and I'm deeply concerned for the state of education and for what my children uh, may be subjected to in future, and I'm sure grandparents and others will. Uh, there simply is so much at stake here, and the idea that there are no consequences really needs to be put to bed. Likewise, the idea that it won't affect me. Even people who are deeply concerned about these sorts of issues, I think, too often fall into the trap of thinking, well, I don't have a child at school or I'm not here, I'm not there, I don't play sport, it doesn't affect me. 
But really, when we start to see how broad this agenda is, we realise that there is no escaping it. It actually will affect the whole of society. It's what makes tomorrow's election a critical election to be very concerned about. And uh, I know that there have been groups who've been saying, please vote according to your religious conscience. Now, Wendy Francis, the Australian Christian Lobby, has been uh, active in surveys. You've had all sorts of uh, pre-election uh, forums where you've had candidates meet the candidate forums. Uh, there's also online the opportunity for people to check out what the candidates stand for, what the parties stand for, because as we were saying a little earlier, some people saying, oh, you must be just fear-mongering. Uh, you've been able to do some real research and get up for people who can uh, understand what uh, what the parties stand for. Uh, what will people see when they go onto uh, the ACL website? They will see an overview of what we believe are Christian values and where parties stand on that. They will also see um, in my state, but in other states as well, they will see videos of candidates who have been prepared to answer some pretty tough questions. Now, in my case, there were candidates who initially agreed to do the video because they wanted to get... We have, in most electorates, we have between one and 2,000 supporters, so they want to get our message, their message out to those supporters. But when they found out that the questions were going to be asked about the federal funding of abortion, when they found out that they were going to be asked about um, religious freedom, um, when they found out they were going to be asked about schools being able to choose who they employ, um, many of the candidates actually declined then to do the video. And I'd have to say that they were from the left, um, the ones who declined. But there are a number of videos up there of Senate candidates but also of um of lower house candidates. Okay, there are a lot of different ways that Christians can inform themselves about the election issues. Uh, one of those can be found at the Christian Values website, christianvalues.org.au. There's a Christian Values checklist there. It's a simple one-page green ticks and red crosses. Uh, there's also the Family Voice website, familyvoice.org.au. Uh, Damien, what's your encouragement to listeners today to check out some of these sites and even resources that you have with the Australian Family Coalition? Well, Neil, um, there have been so many, I think, good uh, investigative surveys and research done on these, these candidates that on this occasion we thought our best contribution was to highlight some of those and you mentioned one earlier that we certainly directed our own supporters to, the Christian Values Checklist. Um, the big thing for us was to uh, persuade Australians to consider ultimately what they do with their preference vote because um, we have this unique system here in Australia whereby your vote doesn't get exhausted. There are people who criticise it and think we should have a first-past-the-post system. I actually like the preferential system because it means that ultimately your vote just doesn't end up in a bin somewhere if your preferred candidate doesn't get up. You still actually have a say in, in things. And the big thing for, for people to consider is ultimately... Uh, not only who their local candidate is, who their local senators are, but the big question of all, who is going to form government in this country? Because ultimately there are only two parties that can, and the gulf between them has never appeared wider on some of these social issues. 
Okay, well, try, time is drawn to the close for our segment together, and I want to thank Wendy Francis from the Australian Christian Lobby. She's the Queensland State Director, leads the Centre for Human Dignity, and also to Damien Wild, who's Director of the Australian Family Coalition. And I'd encourage listeners to visit the websites of these organisations to inform yourself as to how you might understand where the parties and those candidates stand for the election tomorrow. Wendy and to Damien, Thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you for having us, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.